So my guest today is Yara. She's 33 years old and at her birth she was diagnosed with a rare heart condition known as tricuspid atresia. She's had three open heart surgeries since the age of four and now as a pacemaker. She's not let anything stop her though. Since her surgery in 2015, she's travelled to over 10 different countries and has also taken part in 5k and 10k runs. And once again on this episode, we talk about denial of heart disease and how a woman never let anything stop her despite only having half a heart. So, how are you doing? I'm doing very good. Last time, well, not last time, quite recently, wasn't it, when you had your ablation? Oh, no, that was in August. Oh, really? Yeah, that was a long time ago already. Wow. That was, when I, that was when I had my um, my last two procedures as well, my my ablation, then a day after that, mm. I had my valve in valve. Yeah, I had mine uh, beginning of August, so it's been a while. Wow, I thought. Or it was maybe a- was it September? No, I think it was September. You know, because yeah. I'm sure it was. Oh, actually, I- yeah. Now that you're saying it, true, it was September 11th. Yes, it was a like awful date. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. True. Yes, but I had um, the heart flutters in July and August. Yes, and then. Um, I had the operation in September. That's true, but still, that's four months ago. So yeah, what what was what happened? How did you even realize that you needed an, an ablation? Was it you, you were doing the ten k ten k run, weren't you? Yeah, and that day, I I didn't know that I had heart flutters, that I had um, arrhythmia happening to me. Yeah, and because I didn't know how it would show, I didn't know the symptoms. Yeah. But I, looking back at it, I could tell, yeah, that's what it was. Because the day before the run, I could already feel that something is wrong. It felt like I had way too much coffee, you know? Like I was, my heart was racing and I felt really nervous. It was very strange. And I couldn't say what, what's wrong. I just noticed something is wrong. Yeah. But I didn't do anything about it. I ignored it. I thought mm, maybe I had too much coffee or whatever. Try to ignore and, it. Exactly. And then... I wanted to do this run and I knew that I'm not doing great, but um, I thought maybe it's the nerves and I'll just take it really slow. I run very slowly. And so I was in the back of the, the pack kind of the group and I started running and after not even a hundred meters, I noticed that I had to go to the side and I, yeah, I passed out and uh, well, I fainted. And the ambulance came and uh, took me to the hospital. So I did great. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, got to ride in an ambulance, which was not wow. yeah, fun. Could you imagine if that had happened if you weren't in such a controlled environment? It was quite, yeah, I mean, lucky kind of that there was yeah. an ambulance straight away. But I yeah. think the running might have tipped it over. You know, yeah. because then my pulse, I think, was at 170 or something. I could see it in the pacemaker. There was a spike, wow. you know, the pacemaker registers these kind of things. Yeah. And apparently there was a spike and that must have tipped it over. If I had just been out in London running along the canal or Regent's Park or something, that would have been worse. Yes, then I would have. Yeah. Well, but maybe I would faint. 
But when you notice that you're feeling dizzy, you go to the side, you sit down, you you try to take care of yourself, right? It's not like I got hit in the head and like fell down. It mm. I noticed how it's coming kind of and I could go to the side and then yeah. But wow. I was quite lucky that ambulance was right there. So you were stepped to the side. So you weren't so you weren't even running when you collapsed. It was just basically. No, no I noticed I noticed that I was running, my mom was running next to me, and I told her, Mommy, I'm, I'm feeling dizzy. So we, walk, we went to the side, and there was a lawn, like a grass area, and then I only remember that I, I think I fainted, and I was lying on the floor. Maybe my mom put me down, like laid me on the floor or something. I, I don't remember how it went exactly, but I remember that I felt dizzy, and I went to the side, and then... I was lying on the grass and the ambulance was there and I, I noticed everything, but um, yeah, I noticed how it's coming kind of. Right. Mm. Was that the first time you ever felt any sort of symptoms? Like <clears throat> immediately? Yes. Yeah, that was the first time. And then I had to go to hospital, got the cardio version where they reset the heartbeat. Did they do that and straight away for you? No. Because um, I had to get rid of the anticoagulants in my blood. Yeah. And so that took forever. And because they do this echo through the, um, through the throat, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. T-O-E. Awful. Yes. Awful it's thing. the worst thing ever. Yeah. I hate them. <laughs> and in Germany, they do it basically without... Anesthesia. Oh, don't even talk about it. <laughs> they they spray some very cold spray in your mouth. That's it. That's it all numb. they do. Yes. Oh it's gross. God. It's so gross. Anyway. Because you feel yourself gagging when you go in the house. You have to, yeah. Oh my God. So you have to horrible. relax, but you can't. Gag reflex is going as well, though, because there's, there's nothing stopping your gag reflex. It's so you're most, kind of pushing it up and you're like, yeah, so no. relax. Just exactly. relax. You can't relax. Gag wow. reflex. How the hell do you expect them to relax on gag reflex? <laughs> it's, it's the worst thing in the world. I hate them. In London, they always did it under anesthesia. I wouldn't yeah. notice. And I like that much better. Yeah. You wake yeah. up with a sore throat and that's it. Yeah, exactly. But where were you when this happened? Was it in Germany? Yes, that was in Germany. Mm -hmm. Wow. And they, and they do a TOE just with a spray on the back of your throat and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Wow. But... So because um, during the TOE, there's a slight chance that they can scratch something and can cause inner bleeding. Yeah. So that's why I had to get rid of the anticoagulants in my blood first, because the anticoagulants make my blood not Same. clot anymore. So yeah. if I still have that medication in me and I have inner bleedings, I can bleed to death. So um, that's why it took forever for me to get an appointment until my like blood levels were good enough. And so I think I spent almost five days or so in hospital in total for that. And in London, it was a lot shorter. So how long did it take to go out of your system then? Mm, I think about three days, maybe, kind right. of. Yeah, it's quite long. Wow, so you didn't have, you, that was all right for you. Three, three to five days is fine with... Because you still were having flutters yeah. then, right? Yes, but I, I could imagine, I don't remember quite well. Maybe they already put me on beta blockers during that time. 
Right. See, with me, when I come out of my surgery in August, at the end of August, I was at home in September, first yeah. week of September. I only had one week of just being normal and then going back into flutter again. And they got me back into the hospitals. They were going to do a cardio version there and then. Mm-hmm. But my 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 uh, INR was was uh, too low. It wasn't within range. Yeah. So they were scared of the clock breaking off. Mm-hmm. So they said, right, we're going to have to put you on. Um, we're going to have to keep, keep an eye on you, but we'll give you some tablets. So they gave me amiodron. They gave me that when I in September. And then I didn't have my ablation until November. So I was still in flutter from September up until November every day. That's awful. Honestly, and there was no way about the medicine wasn't helping. Uh, none of the the amiodarone wasn't helping at all. Uh, the bisoprolol wasn't helping at all. Any sudden movements I would make, uh, I'd go but I'd go into tachycardia, and it would be like, okay, I need to relax now. And it was it was just the worst ever. Honestly, because I, I could feel it all the time. You know, when you sat down, you could feel your whole body moving with you with the with the with the flutter. The whole your whole body's kind of sh- shaking a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because your heart's not in rhythm properly. Mm-hmm. It was one of the worst experiences I've had because I've never had one that long before. Uh, and all of that itself, the the flutter itself, was making me tired and exhausted anyway. And mm-hmm. then throw on top two two tablets. I was just like a zombie. Oh God! Honestly, it was that. It was that. It was that exhausting all the time. Yeah, having having their medicines. It was just like every every day was effort. Honestly, yeah. I was talking. We were talking recently. uh, I think it was back in December uh, about in denial Mm. of it all. Uh, It's it's something that I think is um, is quite fascinating because we all want to feel normal and mm-hmm. like nothing nothing can happen to me that kind, yeah. of, that kind of mentality i just wanted to i just want to know what was yeah. your experience especially from going from uh, uh being a kid into teenager life did you experience any sort of like uh denial of of the whole thing because I know I did mine my, I took mine to the extreme though to a point where I wasn't even going to appointments which was something that's stupid now looking back yeah but it, was, it was mainly because I'm like do you know what ten years ago fifteen years ago whatever I've had the I've had my surgery I've had my open heart I'm I'm fine there's nothing wrong <laughs> like do you know what I mean that's ridiculous. Laughing, but that's the kind of thing that it is because every because you're trying to fit into everything. Mm. what society kind of expects from you and everyone else is being all normal and they don't have to go to the hospital so why should i that kind of a thing that's what it was with me mm-hmm. uh, and 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 then i stopped i only took my medicine when i felt a bit ill mm-hmm. uh, and but otherwise i wouldn't really take it on a regular basis uh, and uh, there was times when i'd bring up the in the pharmacy for a, a refill and they're like you've not had you've not had a refill for about three four months um, do you still need to be on this? We need mm-hmm. to talk. We need to speak to your doctor. So it got to a point where things were kind of getting complicated for me to even yeah. get back in the system. Yeah, exactly. Three... You cannot fall out of the system. You have to stay in the system. Otherwise, it's so hard to get in. I, I felt like I was out of the system for nine years. Oh, boy. That's yes. not good. And it hit me really bad about three years ago. 
yeah. yeah, three years ago when someone someone outside of my family and all that kind of stuff basically just started pointing at me and saying, look, there's something wrong with you. You need to get yourself checked out. But you kind of... were born with that condition, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I was born with it as well, obviously. And it's the only life I know. There's no yeah. other life I know. Yeah, exactly, yes, but see. I remember that, as you said, all I wanted was to be normal. I didn't yes. want to stand out. And you already stood out just by small things, like I was exempt from PE. I didn't have to do PE in school. Yeah. And that was embarrassing already because everyone would be asking, like, why are you not taking part? And during primary school, I had to be there. I, I still had to go to the lesson, but I had to sit on the bench and watch, which was really annoying. Yeah, exactly. Like and um, only later during high school, I was allowed to, to stay away and like I could have a lion or go home early or something. That was yeah. quite nice. But still, Absolutely. it made you special. I never got that choice. I still <laughs> have to stand on the sidelines and watch everyone no. do it. But wow. I think later it worked um, out because then PE would be in the beginning or at the end of the, the class, uh, the school day somehow. So most of the time it worked quite well that I could yeah, come late or leave early, which was quite nice. But still, I'd rather just take part and be with my friends and be able to keep up. And because everyone knew about the heart condition and knew that I don't have that much stamina and maybe I need longer, I take more time, I'm slower, they would always pay attention to me and ask me, like, do you need help? Are you okay? And I'm like, I don't want to be the one who's holding anyone up. And I think that's when the denial happens like I know I have this but I kind of ignore it I push myself to the limit because I want to be just like everyone else yeah yeah exactly and that's exactly how I felt but I took it to the extreme outside of the classroom even when when I went into college I didn't tell anyone that I had it even though I should have done none of my teachers knew no one knew really and because in college you don't have to do PE or anything Mm. so there's no Mm. no way to really find out you're just there to do what it is that you chosen <clears throat> to do so no one really needed to know so I didn't tell anyone even though I was very symptomatic in college as well mm. no and I never I- had an issue talking about it I think or like mentioning it and I think one of the the reasons why I can't really hide it is because of my scars and not necessarily the scars from the open heart surgery but because I have a scar on the neck and that's quite dominant and I that's the only scar I don't like and it doesn't have anything to do with the heart surgery that's just tissue that was developed in the wrong way and had to be removed because it prevented my neck from growing properly but so I have this scar on the neck and yes I I love my body I think my body is great but that scar is just so annoying and I don't like it so for a long time I was hiding it and of course when you're wearing a scarf all the time people are asking you and my voice is very um it sounds like I have a cold or something often so people are asking like what's wrong and then you kind of like I don't know they you you cannot hide it as well I think and like, I don't mind the scars from the um, open heart surgeries. If 
it was just them, I would be totally fine. But that scar on the neck is just annoying. And they, um, I think that scar made me more shy than I would have been without it. And, um, but that was often a conversation starter that people would be asking, yeah. like, if I'm okay, is there anything they can do and stuff like that. So I couldn't really hide it that well. And so I had to be open about it. And I mean, most people are quite impressed by hearing that I only have half a heart that works properly. Yeah. And still I do everything I want to do most of the time. And I'm quite lucky that I don't have to take very much medication. Yeah. I didn't take any medication as a child up mm. until I was maybe 18 or so. I think right. at 18 years old or so, I started taking aspirin as okay. um, a blood thinner. Right. And then they changed it to anticoagulants All when right. I was 25. Okay. And now since the heart flutters, I'm taking bisoprolol, the beta blocker. And so I'm taking two pills a day, which is nothing. Yeah, like me, at the, at the moment I'm doing, I think it's three, which is a lot more easier to deal with than the four because the four you got to you got to time it right mm. you have to get all these like you know when you put like reminders on your phones yes. take tablets i hate that <gasps> have so a old. daily like, reminder at 5 p.m <laughs> yeah that's it it's like you feel so old like well at the start when i had the amiodron um, they would make you take three pills a day yeah no i remember after surgeries when i had to take multiple pills a day uh, like man, uh, during the morning lunch and then evening and yeah. it was like I think in total it must have been at least nine pills per day or something mm. and that was quite hard and especially after a surgery when you're totally I don't know um, like you, you don't have any energy or anything anymore that you, you cannot concentrate, you're sick yeah. and all that, you're feeling weak, and then you have to keep track of all these pills. About the denial thing, do you, did you do you not did you not ever feel like it was a hard transition for you from to go from being a kid into into teenage into your teenage years? Because I think the teenage years are the ones which are the hardest anyway, because you're trying to find your way through life really and trying to figure out who you are and then accepting this as well or did, did you acknowledge the fact that you've got this and accept it at an earlier age than well, let's say me because I I was just as soon as I had my second my my second surgery which was at the age of 11 I was like right I'm I'm normal now I'm, I'm just going to live my life the way the way everyone else really does mm. and, I, and I'm, I'm just going to ignore this now because I don't really need this. I don't well, really need this care. I had my the first open heart surgery when I was four, so I don't remember that. Yeah. And then nothing, um, no heart operations until I was 25. So oh, okay. that's quite a long time. And I, what I found hard, um, like the transition between kid to teenager or as a teenager, I found it difficult in regards to my love life because right. I didn't, I was insecure about my body because of the scars yeah. and yeah. I didn't know 
how to um, deal with boys. I mean, I was a late bloomer anyways. And right. all these points, like I got my period super late, all that. So I didn't know how my heart condition would affect my sex life, how yeah. my potential boyfriend might feel about yeah. this, you know. So that was quite hard. And maybe that's why I would never make the first move on anyone. And so I didn't have my first boyfriend until I was 17, which was quite late, I think. And um, I think in the end, I was pretty lucky that I was in a very good environment. I was very surrounded by very nice people. Like my friends, they would they would accept me the way I am. Like they, we talked about this recently. And I was this kind of happy-go-lucky person in school. I was always there. I was optimistic. I was happy. And I never had any people who bullied me or, I don't know. I was just there and I was friends with everyone. And then my first real boyfriend, he he never bothered about the the heart issue. And that gave me the confidence that, okay, maybe it's okay then. And But then, of course... It's um, difficult when you have appointments at the doctor, for example, and they start talking to you about pregnancy and birth control and, yeah, maybe sex. And I don't know anything about this at that stage. And, um, I mean, you have to do all these things in regards to your heart condition. Like, I cannot just take the, the pill because... Um, of the hormones it would affect my blood and so on and so I cannot take the regular birth control or that most girls take and I have to find an alternative and stuff like that and so I had to deal with it but because everyone was always quite open about it and I don't know they they never made a big deal out of it I think it was just the way it was and that made me feel comfortable and okay to talk about it. And I think it was just the way it was. I knew that I was a bit special like that. I needed more attention sometimes. And I never really thought about my heart condition that much, to be honest. I never made it a big deal. I just tried to do as much as I can and um, Mm. be as normal as possible. And the first time I really really, really reflected on everything, how I live my life, how I'm spending my time, how I'm um, like living my life. Am I doing enough? Am I having a purpose? And all this was after my last surgeries in 2015, because then I was 25 years old. And that's an age where you can really reflect and compare. When you are four years old, you obviously don't know any better and you forget everything. So that's lucky. But at 25, you think about it. And when you've gone through open heart surgery twice at 25 years old within, yeah, a week, basically, it's a very tough time, as you can imagine, (laughs) or as you know from experience. And that's the first time I really focused on the heart condition and thought about it and realized how much it has shaped me and that without acknowledging it all the time it has shaped me into the character I am today and I'm not saying I wouldn't want to miss it for the world but I'm also not mad at it you know Mm. 
because it made me the character I am and I'm quite happy with the person I am. And so I think I, I, I wasn't, maybe ignorance I don't know ignorance is bliss I guess you know yeah <laughs> like I think that's what it was with, you. with me it was straight up denial no I didn't I really just... deny it I wouldn't say so it was more blissfully ignoring it <laughs> ignoring it and it all depends on in the circle that you that you're with yeah because it does it, because if, if people if people accept you for that mm. and if they've known about it since day one then they don't have they don't really have any reason to to really look at it any differently that's very true yeah no definitely and because i grew up in a very sheltered community i guess like my friends they were super nice my family and so on and at like 14 or 15 when everyone starts drinking and maybe smoking i never did that i never i didn't drink until i was 16 17 never smoked a cigarette in my life and I never I never drank very much anyways I've never been wasted in my life ever and so I always had an excuse I could always say sorry I have a heart condition I cannot smoke or I know I've had enough to drink I shouldn't drink more I have a heart condition I used that as an excuse quite a lot actually when people yeah. tried to be like oh come on just one more drink you know I'm like no and at yeah. some point they just accept it and that's the way it is and that was quite good i think that people didn't ask questions anymore it was just the way i am and i was still there i was still part of the party i was still staying out late and all that but yeah. it was well known that i would not be drinking with them or smoking or trying any other drugs or whatever yeah so i not- think yeah as you said it depends on your social circle yeah, it does. And also it depends on you as well, because yeah. with me, a lot of times I didn't tell people. So if I was to randomly just bring it out, it would be kind of like a bit, bit of a shock. And with me, it's like I, I'm always worried about how people would think if they would mm. look at me any differently, mm. feel sorry for me. or Because when I was in high school, it always felt like I was kind of holding people back. Mm. Uh, when Especially when it came to like sports and stuff, I'd want to get involved, but... I know I couldn't, but I try still. And yeah, but for would... example, sports weren't that big at our school. Our school wasn't right. a all-day school. We had PE only, and that was it. We didn't have any afternoon clubs with football or cricket or whatever. That didn't right. exist. So I did horse riding since I was seven, and I loved it, and it was the perfect sport for me because I could do it at my own pace. I was mm. outside. And I think you have to stay fit. You have to stay active. And I made a lot of friends there. And of course, my parents must have told like the instructor and so on about my condition. So in case anything was um, too demanding for me, I wouldn't have to do it or whatever. But I don't know. I just um, I think I learned pretty quickly to listen to my body and just take a break if I need it. And so I think it depends on how like your character um how determined and strong you are maybe how confident um but of course i'm i think i was also quite happy to um not always be part of the action like i didn't have to be in the middle of it all 
I'm also yeah. happy to do stuff on my own, you know, or like, mm. I don't know, have lots of different groups of friends and not just focus on one group. And yeah. so I think it really depends on who you're surrounded by and um, how they how they deal with that. But luckily, um, I never... I never noticed my friends to be worried about me, I think, or like maybe shy or I don't know. They were just, they, they were curious to ask questions. Yeah. What I noticed now in adulthood, during adult, adulthood, got difficult word, mm-hmm. um, as a grown up, um, when I apply for jobs and this comes up, then employers are hesitant because they are afraid, ooh, what if she's getting more sick than others what if she cannot handle the stress and all that by just the look in their eyes kind of so i actually find employers to be more difficult to deal with than social life yeah so i i need to be very careful how i word this or if i bring it up at all that's what i've noticed lately that yeah sometimes that happened and so then I wonder, maybe I should just not say anything, you know. But, for example, I, like, after my last surgery, I changed careers. I was in finance, and I didn't want to work in finance anymore because after the surgery, I realized finance is not my thing. I, I don't want to work in finance. Mm. And I moved on to, um, to the art world. And so when I'm asked during an interview, why did you change the industry? I used to tell them, well, this is what happened and it made me reflect on how I'm spending my life and I didn't want to waste my time being in an industry I don't know anything about and don't... um, Really have a passion for. Yeah, exactly. Don't have a passion for. I want to work for or within an industry I really like. And they they do get it, but they also immediately see, oh, maybe... She's going to be on sick leave more often or something like that. Yeah. That's like with everything, even with friendships. And, and because everyone's going to have their own like thoughts and, mm. and things about what, what you're going through. But they're, they're, not, they're not directly going to come out and ask you. Even when you meet someone new, like if you start dating someone, like when is the time to tell them? Or do you tell them at all? Well, um, I decided because... Um, I haven't been dating in ever because I was in a long-term relationship for 10 years. So I didn't have to think about stuff like that. Um, But when I was single in London, I decided to go on Hinge. And I put it in my my profile. Yeah. um, Like one of the questions is something, what if I told you? And then you have to answer it. And I, my, like it says, what if I told you if I that I only have half a heart? So I do put it in there, yeah. and I get lots of comments on it, lots of cheesy comments, which oh, are awful. Anyway, um, so I don't want to hide it, you know. <laughs> I'd rather just put it out there, and yeah. I also add photos where you can clearly see the scars, because I don't yeah. want to have anything where I put up and really beautiful photos and. Yeah, yeah, create an image which I cannot fulfill. Yeah, do you know what I do? The exact same thing. Yeah. Since 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 um, 
because I was in I was in denial for about up until three years ago. I was in total denial. I just didn't care about it. I just didn't give a shit. Mm. Let's be honest. Let's be straightforward. I just I literally just didn't give a shit. I would just wanted to go on and carry on and be like the normal people. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So much that I was abandoning my own physical health. That that's how crazy it got. But then when it hit me that I have to get something sorted and when I started to go see doctors and consultants and all that kind of stuff, and then it started to come and started, started to, like, the picture started to emerge of how bad of a shape I was actually getting myself into mm. by ignoring it. Mm. I was like, I need to change everything that I do mm. in terms of my mindset and how I, when I approach someone new, I need to tell them about it just in case something happens because it's it is quite because imagine if something happened and they didn't really know about it how would yes, they react exactly because in case you ever faint or whatever happens and they call the ambulance they need to know what's going on with you yeah. so you have to tell them you cannot deny it and i think as a child i've always been aware of the situation i just didn't make it a big deal i didn't make it a topic yeah and i I didn't bring it up if I didn't have to, and but I wasn't. I wouldn't say that I was in denial. I think that's too much for me. I literally was. No, well, no, I, I just didn't want to make it a big deal. Like yeah. so, let's ignore it. Let's get past that. Yes, okay, that's what it is. But I'll try anyway. Like I, I, yeah. I didn't want to let it stop me. Yeah. So I carried on. I just. That, that's what it was. Okay, let's move on. How can we make this work? So yeah. I had to find alternatives. And that's what I did. And I knew that I, I can't deny it, I guess, because I knew I would hurt myself. I would hurt my yeah. health. You know, that's why I didn't drink. That's why I didn't smoke, mm. for example, I think. You were more aware of it than I was because at that point, I, when I, especially when I was like, in college years, those were the years when I really should have been speaking up about it and really mm. paying attention to uh, any sort of appointments and stuff that were coming through. I was still going to my anticoagulant appointments. Mm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't stop them. I think but, I got, I became really interested in the whole topic. Like I yeah. didn't, I wasn't interested in anything cardiology until I was 25. Like it wasn't a big deal for me. I didn't do anything about um, CHD community or whatsoever. It wasn't part of yeah. my life. It was just there, you know, and, but I didn't, I didn't pay attention to it. I was just, yeah, it was part of me obviously because I was born with yeah. it, but, um, I didn't do any research or anything or reached out to anyone. But when I had the operations in 2015, then I really reflected on it and started thinking about it. And now it's such a big part of my life that yeah. I, became really involved in the whole community and I want to speak about it and meet other people. I'm very interested yeah. in talking to other people. And when I was younger, I didn't know anyone with a heart condition. No one. It was only me. So who, I, who was I supposed to talk to? And nowadays, yeah, exactly. of course, doctor's appointments are annoying, but I also find it super interesting to learn mm. something about myself. You know? So I think now it became an interest of mine, actually. And Yeah. And reading so many heart-related books and, I don't know, watching documentaries and stuff like that and find yeah. it fascinating how it 
relates to my condition. And yeah. if I could ever study again, I would study cardiology. I would love that. Mm-hmm. See that what you what you went through when when you had your uh, second open heart when you were twenty five. Mm-hmm. I went through that when I was thirty after I was. Uh, told of how bad my condition actually was getting mm. uh, so that was the light bulb moment for me it was mm-hmm. like okay i need to really just pay attention it is this. yeah but it's crazy but, isn't it like yeah. when there was a moment where they told you okay it's actually really bad and yeah. that's what happened to me as well that they at 25 years old or i was 24 at that time maybe they told me well we cannot guarantee how long your heart is going to continue the good work it's been doing but um so we suggest you have this operation now we also don't really know how the operation's going to go because we need to see what we are dealing with first and then we can make a plan kind of but if you don't do anything we can only tell you that if it gets worse it will get worse very quickly and then it might be too late and you're like 24 years old and have to make this decision all of a sudden by yourself without your parents because you're an adult now you have to sign the papers and you have to decide are you going into theater or not basically are you doing this and this is crazy I think because just it was uh, quite a coincidence I guess for me because I always went to um, the hospital in Germany And when I came to London, I started going to the hospital here and I was a new patient here. So they looked at me with fresh eyes, kind of, and they were like, oh, my God, this is really like severe, kind of. Yeah, very complex. And I mean, the Royal Brompton is very good and everything. And they actually came up with this um, suggestion. And I was like, no, you must be crazy. Like. The ones in Berlin and Germany, they never said anything. And I've been going there regularly every year and it never came up. And then I went back to Berlin and asked them and like, do you think the same? Do you think I should also have this operation? And they said, yeah, we agree. And so only by getting this second opinion, um, they were kind of, I think, maybe they would have suggested it a bit later, you know. But mm. London put the urgency on it, I think. And only by getting this second opinion from a second hospital, it got the whole ball rolling, kind of. Yeah. And yeah. it was quite a surprise. And yeah, that's a difficult decision, as you know, um, and quite a shock when you hear about this for the first time. Wow. Because you're still feeling fine in yeah. this moment. But they tell you, well, it's preventive. And if you don't do it, we don't know how long you're going to last. Basically, yeah, that's exactly how I because I, I still even even when I went in for my because uh, they give me once they give me a tape, you know, the 24 hour tape, mm. they give me that. They said, keep that on for three days mm. and uh, drop it off and then we'll we'll take it from there. Mm. So I did that and I give it in and I was waiting for results. I wasn't getting any. And then on a Friday, I dropped it off on a Monday and on a Friday, the, the, that Friday that week, I got a phone call and they said, you need to come into the hospital immediately. Oh, that's scary. I was like, okay, right. What's going on? We can't tell you anything until you're in the hospital. We need to get you admitted right away. That's super scary. I was like, 
right, let me go to the hospital, let me find out what's going on. Mm. And then it was basically my arrhythmia was so bad that it was speed up. And then when it slowed down, my heart rate would slow way down, way below what it would normally supposed to be. Mm. And they thought, and they said, that is what we need to keep an eye on because it's too much. You're, 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 not, you're, not, in, you're not in a certain rhythm. Mm. constantly you're fluctuating between the two and and that is very very dangerous to be in yeah. especially with the way the the structure of my heart is and and all that and the way it's like the heart walls are and all that kind of stuff everything everything put all, all putting all that stuff together mm. it was just a very dangerous situation to be in mm. and even that at that point i was still feeling fine i was mm. feeling like I don't know what they're seeing. I don't know what they what they've heard. I feel good, but yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna walk away from it because this is something. If it's if it's if it's got the attention of the heads of the whole of the cardiac yeah. department in the whole hospital, in, in like in the whole of Manchester, mm. then I need to pay attention to this. I cannot walk away from this now, and that is when uh, I started to like really look into it and. Because at, at that point, to to be honest with you, I didn't even know what my diagnosis was at birth up until when I was in my twenties. Really? Why? Because no one really knew. Because no one really knew. Because my my my, my mum wasn't educated, mm. and my uncle didn't really understand the like the the scientific uh, the lingo. Mm-hmm. So they just they just basically knew, oh, he's got a heart condition, and that's it. And they didn't really look into it. They didn't really pay attention to uh, what exactly they were doing. They just trusted the doctors enough that they would fix what was going on. But I so, think it's also a change of the the time, kind of, because that, as you yeah. said, you trusted the doctors more, yeah. and. Um, my parents are very educated people and they went to all the hospital visits with me and all, everything. But I think what has changed nowadays is that the hospital is a lot more open. Doctors are explaining more. And yeah. back in the days, you wouldn't question the doctor. You would just accept it. And information wasn't shared as freely as today. Yeah. And yeah. of course, everyone becomes a doctor themselves kind of when you have a condition like this yeah. so you google a lot you compare your research and all that but all that knowledge wasn't available back then so maybe that has changed and now people like patients they demand the information they want to to know and they want to be part of the decision so i think the behavior has changed and maybe that's why you only learn more about it later on Yeah, and because I knew that I needed to pay attention to it, so even though I was in denial, I still know I still knew that this is something that I I, I need to uh, educate myself on enough mm-hmm. to survive, basically. Yep. So yep. that's basically what I was doing. The a bare minimal. I was like, "What is this that I've got?" So when I went into an appointment when back in two thousand and five, no, mm-hmm. sorry, it was two thousand seven. It was just a regular checkup appointment. I thought, all right, okay, let us come through. I'm just going to go there and just see what they're saying. Uh, they, he said, the, the consultant said, uh, your heart valve started to uh, leak and uh, close up. So we're going to need to keep an eye on it. And we're going to need to 
uh, really look into what we can do about possibly replacing it or or putting a valve inside it. This was when valve in valve was still quite uh, in its infancy, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it was still quite experimental at that point. I'm, I think it was around that time, uh, but they, they weren't really talking about it as openly as they are now. Uh, and so when 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 I had that, I was like, okay, right, great. So the, and he goes, I'm going to send you another appointment through, and uh, we'll take it from there. They send me an appointment through. What do I do? Discard it at <laughs> that point because I did not want that experience. I don't want to be in a hospital bed. And I don't want them to pump me with drugs. And I don't want to stick things in me. I cannot. Be no, I, I totally get that. Let's be honest. We have no control over our own bodies at the moment. Let's be let's be honest about it. We are a product of basically our condition, even though a lot of people, well, especially you, I've noticed you don't let it define you, but it kind of does. And especially it with does, this- but I, I think by living my life in a certain way, I can manage it. Yeah, you can manage it and you can kind of gain sort of some sort of control over it. Exactly. And, and I can keep it in check kind of. Yeah. And that's or, the thing. Yeah. I felt like I had no control at that point. And I wanted to gain control. And the only way I could gain control is by pushing it to a side and just going about and doing my own thing my way. If I feel symptomatic, just deal with it the way I know how to deal with it and just ignore it. And mm. I did that from the year. And I was probably, I think I was uh, 2007, I was 20 then. And I did that all the way up until I was 30. So a whole full 10 years, mm. I was just, I was in that state of mind until until someone came into the studio and she was an A&E nurse and she pointed at me and she said, you don't look well, you need to go get checked. And and I told her, I, I do have this heart condition that, was, I was, uh, that I've had since birth, but I had my surgery 20 years ago. But she was like, okay. And she clearly saw through it. Mm. And then she was like, right, if, with that, with the way that you're looking right now, you need to go and get yourself checked out, especially because you have this condition. And that was what really kind of sparked it for me. And that's when I started to pay more attention, educate myself. And at that point, still, I had no one to turn to to talk to because no one would really understand. You don't understand unless you've been in this sort of situation yeah. yourself. Yeah. So even if I was to turn to my family or my friends and say, look, this is what I'm going through, they would be like, oh, you know what? They'll try to be a bit sympathetic, and and actually feel like some sort of empathy, possibly, but the reality of it is they're never going to understand. No, and, of course not. And the only time I felt like I was understood was the time when us lot, our group, mm-hmm. met for the first time in London. So I knew that I needed wow. to reach out to people and and feel like a normal person in a room filled with people who were going through something similar to me. So that that was the first time I felt like, you know what, I'm not alone in this. For for so many years, I was just like, I was a closed book. But now anyone asks me, it's, it's, I'm, I'm putting it everywhere. I'm literally talking about it all the time with everyone. Anyone I first, I first meet, like, why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing that? Here's the reason why. But before, it was just like, I can't be bothered. I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it because I didn't want to. Yeah, but I think that's that's beautiful that you've changed your mindset about it. And um, I think, yeah, I ignored the heart condition for a long time as a kid and teenager and so on. I just didn't want to make it a big deal. So I 
tried to keep quiet about it, kind of. And I wasn't interested in it. I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to stand out. But then at 25 years old, after this operation, I actually started to become interested in the topic. And yes. I think that changed everything, that it became a big part of my life. And I was really keen on learning more and educating myself and meeting other people. And now I think, yeah, I have changed my mindset about it because it's not something to be ashamed of or annoyed by or pissed off about. That's all wasted energy. I rather see it as something very special and um, it's something unique. And I've met so many amazing people through this. I've yeah. been allowed to, to take part in such amazing events and I was invited to, yeah, amazing uh, events, occasions, and so on. And just the people I met, the community is amazing. And so it's actually, I don't know, it's it's crazy that this happened to me. And yes, I, I ignored it for a long time, but there are so many other people um, yeah, with similar conditions, and they're all amazing. But nowadays it's easier, I guess, to reach out or find fellow hard warriors because yeah. of the internet. Yeah. And like as a kid, how are you supposed to find anyone? I wish, anyone? We, had, I wish yeah. we had. Do you we know didn't what it have is? any hard groups or whatever. I don't remember. No. Maybe they did have support groups, but I also never asked because I wasn't a local. So yeah. I don't know how it was for you. No, there was nothing like that around for me, to be honest. Even when... Um, uh, yeah, because I, I went to my hospital was a local hospital, the ch children's hospital. They did have like a cardiac uh, area and I never really paid attention to anyone else. And plus, I wasn't really aware that they, they could, the people really talked about it because in my family, and I think this is a cultural thing, I don't know, I may be wrong, but in my family anyway, never really spoke about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, that wasn't the case in, in my family. Um, I think everyone always knew about the situation, obviously, yeah. and they knew they have to take care of me, like they have to watch out for me, kind yeah. of. And I was annoyed by that because it made me feel weak. Like, yeah, I am the one who needs more attention. Oh, I, I, I didn't like that, and that's why I tried harder, but. No, everyone was very aware of the situation and they would always help me. They would always come and ask, like, do you need anything? Like, if I don't know, when we were on holiday, we were going hiking or whatever, we would take yeah. more breaks because of me and all that. And yeah. I, I knew that, but I think they, they, my family actually handled it very well because yeah. they, they did pay more attention to me, yes, and they didn't I don't know they just they designed a life for us that worked for all of us and yeah. to include me anyways and they often asked like oh don't you want to take a break and don't you want to sit down and are you okay and make sure you drink enough and so they also kept track of all the doctor's appointments and everything so I could definitely not yeah. forget that <laughs> I didn't deal with those on my own until I was 18 I think yeah. I don't know why they managed all of this for me but um no, what about talking to people what about talking to people could you like turn to someone in your family and talk about it could, could you could you do that because I, I don't feel i never felt like i could actually do that 
No, I could definitely. Um, we talk about everything, and yeah. I don't know. It was just, just the way I am, you know. Like I think my family. I was lucky with my family. Yes, that yeah. I could always turn to them. But um, I think what I found difficult to talk to them about was something like sex and relationships. Right. Because that's not something you necessarily want to talk about no. with your parents. It's not, really done. it's not really dinner table talk, is it? Nope. <laughs> not really. <laughs> so that would have been good to know fellow heart warriors. I think that yeah. would right. That would have been really useful. Just to talk yeah. about those kind of topics. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I mean like um well, I could I could talk to my family about anything, but if I was to bring up something and because they always wanted you me to be like, oh, you could do it. You can you can power through. You can, you're fine. Nothing's wrong with you. It's, it's okay. I've not I've never really had a conversation with anyone about it in my family, because we never really did it when we were, when I was younger. So I don't really feel comfortable about doing it now. And it's only going to add stress onto them, and they're only going to worry and be concerned. That's the thing that I want to try to avoid. Which is why I never really told them or showed it when I was symptomatic. When I was when I was when I was in my 20s, I didn't really show them that. I didn't really tell them what was going on. Yeah, but especially I'd... if you're experiencing health issues, you need to be open about it and you need to tell them. Exactly. No, but, I, mean, I totally get what you mean because you don't want to draw attention to you or yeah. you don't want, like, what I noticed very quickly is I do not want to worry my family. Like, that's it. That's, that's the main that's the main. Because they're main always thing. worried always worried so that's why i would power through and i would say yeah. no no i'm fine even yeah. though i might be not fine yeah and but i think the only situation where i ever really lied to my my parents and they didn't know i was lying was i was in hospital i had a second operation on my neck when i was 16 it was okay. like plastic surgery to make the the scar um, look better basically yeah. it was plastic surgery and it was the day I was released from hospital and I my mom was just signing some papers or so and I was so happy to finally be out of hospital and I just had to go to the bathroom and before we leave and I went to the bathroom and in the bathroom I fainted and I fainted I fell down and I heard my neck on the sink and fell down, but I, I pulled myself together somehow, stood up and looked in the mirror, checked, everything was still fine. And I walked out. My mom was just asking, are you okay? Because I think she must have seen that I must have been very pale or something. But I knew if I tell her, I just fainted in the bathroom. I have to stay in hospital and I cannot leave. Yeah. So... I said, no, I'm fine. And we left. And I never told her until, I don't know, years later, 10 years later or even longer. Wow. Because I was, yeah, I didn't want to worry her, you know. Like, I don't want to be the reason for their sadness. That's it. That's that's the thing, though. You don't really want to put them through something. Because no. they've been through so much already when exactly. it comes to us. Especially with us being born the way we were born it's not really something that you a normal parent should experience yes. and they're blaming there. themselves for it even though they're there's blaming, no reason it. for it that's it they still they blame themselves for it and you don't want to add add to that which is why i think 
one of the reasons why I think I've kept silent about it and not really bought it up, even though there are days when I feel like, you know what, I can't go through a normal day. Mm. I can't I can't do I can't do anything today. I feel weak, I feel horrible, mm. feel fatigued, and uh, I don't I don't really I'm not in a good mood. Because it does let's be honest, it does affect your mental health as well. It does. Which is something yes. it, which is something that I don't I I think that it needs more attention drawn to it. And see, with with my family, if I was to do that and turn around to them and say, "Look, I'm going through this. I'm going," they they wouldn't understand because they've never experienced mm. it. So their 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 response would be to just be like, "Oh, you'll be all right. You'll be fine." Yeah. No, it's, that's true. And I think because yeah, they have never been in your situation, so they yeah. they cannot feel the same. And the way. Like they only know you a specific way. Like that, yeah. they they know you, and that's like they have a certain image of you or like idea of you, and so to them you are just Uzi. You are perfect. You are like yeah. that's the way you are. Yeah. And but they don't necessarily understand that when you meet strangers, it might be completely different yeah. because they don't know you yet. They have to get to know you first, mm. you know? Your family doesn't see you for your heart condition or your scars or whatever because, yeah, for them, you are just their family member. But, yeah. but I think my hospital in Berlin actually did a really good job with that, that they always yeah. emphasized, like, try to keep, uh, try to treat the children as normal as possible and make sure they exercise like of course in moderation everything has to be in moderation but try to try to be as normal as possible and because why not we are treating them here in the hospital as good as we can and mm. we want them to live a normal life and yeah. they've always really emphasized this and I think my my parents took that advice and so of course they were worried like Ooh, do you really, I don't know, want to play football with the other guys or maybe you should take a break now or something. But yeah. they also knew that I have to discover my own limits, yeah. I think. And only by putting this trust in me, I could learn to trust myself yeah. and to really listen to myself. Yeah. In regards to mental health, I think what I... Oh, a situation where I struggled the most was after the surgery in 2015 yeah. because that was the first time that I had to go through this um, being very aware of the situation right. uh, because I was 25 years old and not four anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I struggled quite a lot with the questions like, Am I ever getting back to normal? Will I, yeah. will I feel this sick forever? And I was very, oh, sorry. I was very annoyed that I made this decision. I was doubting, did I make the right decision? I'm not feeling any yeah. better. I'm feeling worse than before and all that. So I was doubting myself a lot. But um, that happened in hospital already. And right. because I was feeling like shit and I needed help for everything and that wasn't me anymore. And yeah. so I got to a point where I realized I need to pull myself up and together. And 
I cannot be pessimistic. I need to be optimistic and I need to change my mindset and I need to get out of here. And that's when everything went uphill and I got a bit better, like very slowly. And then I was discharged. I don't know, after I think 18 days in total or so. But still at home, recovery, rehab took forever. It was, I think, three months in total or so. And during that time, it was quite quite hard um, because there would be setbacks when, um, I mean, when you had open heart surgery, obviously you have um, uh, pain in your chest and everything and every move you do hurts. And when you can't even open a heavy door or something and it's just so painful. And that's, I think, when I struggled quite a lot with um, will the scars ever get any better? Am I going to look the same again? And like, I lost so much weight. I was so skinny and I looked at myself in the mirror. I'm like, oh my God, this is not me. And that's a time when I struggled quite a lot, but also mainly because I could see how much my family was worrying about me and yeah. knowing that I am the reason for their sadness mm-hmm. was tough that was yeah. a lot to deal with so how long after when you got your um after you recovered mm. what about physically mm. um how long I would... did the mental recovery take because <coughs> i always think that physical recovery is they always say well, it's going to take a certain amount of time mm-hmm. but once you recover physically there's always that mental recovery that you yes. need to just push through um, How I long think did it take the, the physical there? recovery took around um, a little over half half a year, probably, right. because I had the surgeries in September and I did a 5K run, which I've never done before, yeah. in April. So that was like half a year later. That right. was quite good that like I started running and I never did any running before. So right. I felt pretty good and like I was getting back to normal um the mental recovery did take longer but um i don't i didn't struggle with it too much like it it didn't take over my life i would say oh well i never felt like i was depressed or anything about this um of course there were moments where i was really upset but um luckily it never got to me too much i think but what I nowadays struggle with is, for example, the question of time. How much time do I have? Life expectancy. Don't I know that's a really sad topic because nobody yeah. wants to talk about death. But because there are no studies, there are no statistics, no one can give you any information. Mm. And it puts me under a lot of stress because I feel like I need to make the most of my time. I need to use my time. And it's not a fear of missing out. It's a fear of not doing enough. Like I need to use my time better. So I'm always busy doing something. And this um, self-imposed stress on myself, that is a mental thing I struggle with quite a lot. Which is. is quite bizarre because I created this by myself, kind of. Well, it's a question. It's a valid question, though, because it is like, 
how long do I have left? Even though it's a morbid question to ask. It is. Yeah, but of course you're asking this question. You're wrong. Of course you're going to ask that question because you, let's be honest, we're not really normal. Yeah. So we go, we're going to have questions like this. Yeah, but when you talk about this with uh, healthy people, they'll tell you, well, everyone can get hit by the bus tomorrow. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. That's, that's true. But that's... I have an additional risk to this. Yeah, I have an additional thing. We all we all feel like that, of, especially when someone when the doctors and the consultants come through with with something with alternatives for the future, uh, like let's say you've had like I've had a valve involved. I can't keep having valves involved all the time. I think my next one will probably have to be open heart and just have have it have it replaced mm. if if this does tend to fail. Uh, do you know what I mean? And then it's like, I remember uh, last time I was in the hospital, uh, once the doctor came in and uh, she was like, we can talk about long-term possibilities of, uh, this was before my valve involved. She was like, we're going to talk about long-term possibilities of of correction. And she ran down the list and she was like, valve involved, open heart, replacement of the valve and uh, a few years later we'll probably talk about a full heart transplant that's crazy and i was like that kind of stopped me in my tracks mm. because it was like i hadn't thought about it to that point mm. but they were like the heart structure is it's, it's where it can't be fixed anymore mm-hmm. the structure so there's only so much you can do yeah there's only so much you can do and it's been zapped and buzzed and mm. burnt away. So much. Yes. It's, it's barely even a muscle anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's a construction site. It basically is a construction site at this point in time. So it's like it's a it's a valid point. Like when I get older, and, and if something does seem to happen, where it does where where it is the only option, the question is, do I do it, or do I say? No, I'm sticking with this one. Yeah, I no, I know what you mean, and I think right now I'll probably say I'm good as is. I'll just yeah. carry on because you don't want to go through the whole hospital experience again, and yeah, you're fine as you are, and you have beaten the odds. Yeah, or I have like beaten the odds already so many times. I feel like like this condition is so complex and. I mean, I'm doing very well and I'm very lucky that I can live the life I live and I'm also doing a lot for it. But I think lots of it is a mindset, a positive mindset and living a healthy life. And that's that's all I can do. And yeah, but I, I, I think it got me very far so far. And then I, I would love to carry on like this. But um, I remember another moment where I struggled a lot was when I learned that um, after my surgery, when I woke up, they also told me we had to implant a pacemaker. And that made me feel so old. Oh my God. Yeah. I was so upset about this. I I thought that pacemakers are only for old people. Old people. And why do I need one? My grandpa had one. I'm like, oh, this is so annoying. And I didn't like it at all. And that, yeah, I struggled with that a lot to come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. And the moment I accepted it and changed 
my opinion about it was when I got interested and educated about it. And I found it fascinating to learn about how the pacemaker is inside my body and is helping my body and how it works. And like now it makes me special when I go to the um, airport. But I actually just realized a moment where I was definitely in denial uh, about my situation was after the heart flutters and the ablation because I, or the way I handled it was denial. Like the first recently. heart, yeah, recently, because wow. I um, had the first heart flutters in July. That happened, needed the cardio version, and I went straight back to work and I acted like nothing happened. I only took the days off during hospital and that was it. I went straight back to work, continued as normal. Then heart flutters again in August and I was in hospital again, but came out, went straight back to work, carried on as normal. And then in September, I had the ablation, which is quite an intense experience. I think I was still under anesthesia for uh, anesthetics for five hours or so like it was quite a long procedure yeah. and again I was only in hospital for two days I think it was super fast I was so surprised but I went straight back to work again because I just wanted to be normal I didn't want did to be you in hospital I wait for the two weeks I'm sorry rest did you not wait for the two weeks of no. rest of the no 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 wow. I think I waited maybe maybe three days but I was still working from home and like <laughs> I went straight like back to my normal life and that was clear denial definitely yeah. because I wanted to carry on as normal I wanted to feel normal and going to work makes me feel normal continuing yeah. my life as is or as was um, normally makes me feel healthy and yeah. it hit me after a while end of September that I'm I'm doing a horrible job at work I'm I'm not concentrated I can't deal with this and it's not so much my physical uh, strength, it's the, the mental stress that you experience in hospital. Yeah. Just being in hospital, having to be in an operation theater, talking to doctors, being there, waiting, not knowing what's happening, mm -hmm. taking medication and all that. And that's when I realized I need to take a break. I, I cannot just carry on, but I... I was in denial during like three months kind of because I always yeah. just carried on as normal and tried to push through it and didn't take a break. And then I decided I'm taking October off. I'm going on sick leave. And that's yeah. what I did. And it was great because I got time to really just rest. It is, it's not the right thing to do or it's not the right thing for your body because your body needs rest. But it helped me to feel normal again. And, but then I always experienced the backlash a few months later. I've had yeah. this now over the summer, as I just told you, like yeah. in October, I took a month off. And in 2015, I, um, I was on sick leave for three months mm. and that was definitely needed. I couldn't have worked during that time, yeah. but then I went back to work and I just carried on. And I pushed through it and the backlash came or the realization came half a year later that 
I don't want to live like this. I need to make a change um, in the summer. Yeah, maybe six months later when I handed in my notice and changed the industry I was working in. Because then I really started to think about what had happened. And going back to work so quickly after the surgeries helped me to feel normal and healthy again. Mm-hmm. But that only worked for a while because then your your physical state might be good again, but your yeah. mental state is not good yet. Absolutely. That's when that's I started cool. setting up Optimistic Heart and I went on lots of holidays by myself. And yeah, I started talking to people and get more involved and just, yeah, really start thinking about this topic and meanwhile I went to Iceland and traveled in Iceland by myself and I don't know other places and really took time for myself and when you're traveling on your own you have a lot of time on your own obviously that's when you really start thinking about the important questions and that's when you also get great ideas when you get inspired and I mean you love photography for example so I mean You'll get so many great new ideas and you can mm. use this photography to make new friends, to, to make connections, you know, and yeah. uh, meet people. And Absolutely. it's so easy to use this as a tool to, yeah, just get connected. Uh, I'm on 39 right now. I'm going to the 40th country in May. Which one's that? Uh, to Albania. How long has that been since 2015? You traveled to 40? No, 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 no. All my life. All your life? Yes. Right, okay. Yes. How many have you been to since post-surgery? Oh, actually quite a lot, to be honest. Um, Post-surgery, I would say at least 10, 12, maybe. That's quite a lot still. How often would you travel? quite a lot <laughs> but that's where all my money goes like i don't okay. spend money on uh makeup or blow dries or i don't know that's i do that stuff myself and then i make lots of my clothes myself so i i don't need very much when i when i'm just in london but i i spend my money on traveling because that gives me joy 